Welcome, and thank you for listening to the New Day Podcast. We are located in South Kansas City, proclaiming the good news of God's grace to our region and abroad. If you'd like more information, please visit our website, newdaykc.org. of the new covenant and what it means regarding our life and how we live in God. And it's, and it's found in, in Hebrews 8. You can also go to Hebrews 10. So if you didn't get that part, jump back on the website. And yes, I've been much more faithful in getting them up there by Monday or Tuesday at the latest. And you can catch up with that. But Romans 8 is actually a key to this. And and to understanding what this life is, but I wanted to look at these seven things this morning, which are symptoms. It doesn't mean it's not to lay a heavy guilt trip on. Oh, yeah, now I'm that too. But these are symptoms of what it looks like when we're not living under the new covenant, when we're living this law-based life. And I do I do a little bit of joking about. Uh, not living in the book of equations and not living in the book of illusions. And the reason I poke at that is because uh, many of us today, and I understand it, I do it too, but a lot of us form our our thoughts and views off of uh, what one theologian calls pop culture Christianity. And uh, what that means is we just sort of pick and choose, and uh, most of us... um, uh, for many people today, and this was a, a thing that happened in the 70s and 80s and even up into the 90s, where the proliferation of non-denominationalism, so you had churches that weren't tied to a denomination, and when that happened, I just want to give you a brief modern church history or postmodern history. With that, so you had people who had left Baptist backgrounds, Presbyterian backgrounds, uh, Quakers, uh, all kinds of people get it reforming together and doing non-denominationalism, which meant what usually that they, uh, it's where we got much more generalized statement of faith of what we believe, what we don't believe. And then you had the, the kind of the charismatic movement that uh, believed in a spirit-filled life and they meant a certain thing when they, when they said that. And so it's, it, there's no, there's one, no, we're just all thrown together. So we have a lot of different backgrounds and a lot of different understandings. And most, and here's what's really interesting. Most people in the charismatic movement or in the non-denominational movement say they don't like theology. That they don't like theological teachings. I've heard that over and over and over again. And uh, stop that. <laughs> Me teasing you saying stop that is we all live theology every day of our lives. Theology is what you believe that's true about God. And so what you believe about God will determine everything about your life. It will determine how you worship or if you worship. It'll determine um, the things that you believe about spiritual practices. It'll determine what you believe about prayer. And 
though I know that there can be very dry, didactic teachings when it comes to doctrine and theology, I've actually been teaching theology here for about nine years and just didn't tell you that it was theology. Because I didn't want you to yeah, do the shutdown thing. Oh, he's teaching theology today. So, because it's such a deeply important aspect of our lives. What you believe, this is A.W. Tozer, what you believe about God, and, and he would say it this way, in your heart of hearts, in the center of your being, is the most important thing about you. It's the most important thing about you. Because it really does determine everything else. So in, in looking at that, one of the things I wanted to do in breaking away from the other doctrinal views and theology and beginning to understand what new covenant life is, what that really means for a believer, um, I wanted to put up these seven things, and this came from my readings from another, from another writer, um, but it's seven symptoms of a legalistic life, of a legalistic attitude towards God, and not a new covenant faith. And everything that we read about last week in Hebrews 8. So I'm going to go through them this morning. So what are the symptoms of a law-based life? Well, the first one is you feel guilty and condemned. Um, That comes out in little ways, like you're sitting on your couch and uh, you're reading a Bible, and you get done reading your Bible, and you'll say, man, I don't read the Bible enough. And you feel guilty, even though you just got done reading, you feel guilty that you're not reading enough. So this might be a, what's, his, what's the old country comedian, Foxworthy or something that used to go, you know, you might be a redneck if, well, you might be a legalist if you get done reading your Bible, and you go, I'm not reading my Bible enough. Now, a one-off saying, that might be true, but the other thing is, this this is going to sound really strange, if you feel condemned when you've sinned. Now, guilt and condemnation are related, but they're not the same things. If you did something sinful, you should feel guilty over that, but you should never feel condemned because condemned has within it the idea that, you, that there's a distance now. You've been removed from. You're condemned to spend your life in prison. That's very different than I just yelled at that very innocent car being driven by that very innocent person that just cut me off. Yeah, uh, you know, and then you notice that on the back it has a little pastor sticker with a cross. Here's the truth of the matter. Condemnation is the number one symptom of the condemning ministry of the law. That's what the law, the law condemns. It's the law of sin and death. That's in 2 Corinthians 3.9. It is a sign you are more conscious of your sins than of God's grace. When I fail... Where I know I'm living in God is when I'm immediately, when I feel I'm reaching for God's grace. Not reaching, going, well, I blew it again. It's not that. It says, Lord, 
I'm immediately running to God. I can't remember who put it up, but it, there was, I don't know whether, maybe it was Carrie that said something to me about it, but the one, one about uh, when I fail, I run to my father. You know, that, that is when you know you're living without condemnation in your life. That when there's a mistake, you don't try and get away from God, but you run to him. The cure for a guilty conscience is a revelation of the new covenant forged in Jesus' blood. That's found in Hebrews 10, verse 22. It is the very essence. It is a joyful discovery that now, in Christ Jesus, there is therefore no condemnation. Uh, you can say stuff like, this is how, this is how you kind of know that you're still dealing with condemnation. I'm not worthy. I've done terrible things. It's a judgment of the law. And what you're doing is you're singing an old refrain to an old song that has no meaning for you anymore. And it cannot do you one bit of good. It just doesn't work. You can sing that song um, all day long. And it just doesn't change. As a matter of fact, it doesn't get rid of the guilt feeling. That, ugh. Grace gets rid of that. I run to his grace. And here, so when I make a mistake, what does the law require? Your blood? Somebody's. Whose blood did it require? Jesus' blood. Did he do it? Is it done? So you're asking for something not that must come to you and be done. You're asking for something that has been done. It's done. It's finished. He did it. So I can run gleefully to that place. Now I know when, when we're in failure, it seems really strange. It seems really strange because I want to know I want God to know how sorry I am, don't you? I'm mad at myself. I mean, if we get very, you know, who wants to talk about sin this morning? Well, when you blow it, you're mad at yourself. And then it's really funny, right in the, right in the heat of the moment, you even know that an hour from now, you're going to ter- feel terrible about the heat of the moment. And it's just going to ruin your whole stinking day. And so still, instead of running to God, now you carry it. That's, that's a sign you're, that's condemnation. Where really, I think this is hard for, for all of us to navigate. We're to run boldly to a throne of grace. That means without shame, uh, there's nothing in the way I boldly come. Not as an insolent child, but as somebody who needs more grace because I had failure. Wherever sin abounds, grace does more abound, super abounds. Okay, the second one is you suffer from uh, performance anxiety. Uh, anxiety, that feeling of anxiousness is typical response to the uncertainty of living under the lots. Now you know you're living in legalism. And it comes out with this question, Have I done enough? Am I doing enough? Is God pleased with me? Why would God be pleased with you? 
There you go. That's the only reason God is, God's not pleased with you over what you did and didn't do. It does not compute. He does not have a computer that puts that in. The thing that God is delighted in is Christ in you. He's delighted in that. And he chose to do it that way. It's it's the most phenomenal thing. God is pleased with his son in you. And what pleases him is your faith in him. That pleases God. It's just laid out. It's, it's Hebrews 11. It's, it's funny how these two books, Romans and Hebrews, go like this to get the understanding of how to, how to not live a burdened legalistic life. The grace of God will always point you to the finished work of the cross And it fills you with confidence and peace because I can't do it. You ever been at that place like in your prayer time where you go, "I, I I can't do this. I don't know what the magic word is, but I'm not finding it. It's not working and I can't do this. I give up. Boy, what a wonderful place to be. You finally stop trying to do it in your flesh. If you've gotten to the point, I don't understand, even if it's this, I don't know why I keep doing this. I can't stop. Guess what? When that gets uttered, God can. That's the minute, that that point of surrender that God can do it in your life. (sighs) The law will always cause you to look at yourself. Grace will cause you to look to Jesus. If you think you're not doing it enough, It's because you're looking at yourself, not at Jesus, because he's done enough. Here's here's how how I use this very simple, but I know it's legalism or not in my life. The law says you shall. You shall fill in whatever the commandment is. The new covenant, grace says I will. God declaring to you, I will do this in your life. And I will do this and do this. And you can write those promises down. Whatever you're struggling, I want to make this very practical. The very thing you're struggling with, write it out in a prayer. And look at the difference between I must, I have to do this, I do, that, and what God says. And that his declaration to you, I've done it. Number three, tag teams with the other two. You are more conscious of your debt to God than anything else. What debt? Well, under a law-keeping covenant, uh, it's like this. You think of God as the bookkeeper. Measuring your sin, and they're written down. And he keeps a tally. But guess what? Father's not like that. Remember the scripture that we read last week from, from Hebrews 8. Their lawless deeds I will remember no more. He's not keeping tally of how good and comparing, well, Steve, buddy, had a couple of good days last week, but this week you're pretty much in deep trouble, bud. That's not God. He's not doing that. We 
we do that, we keep the tally and, we think, and we're conscious of this debt that we have to God. It's so interesting. Uh, we use these words of it, it and we'll next month when we get into Easter time, that's when we really look at it. It is finished. That was actually a, in the Hebrew language when he uttered that. Do you know that that was a bookkeeping term? When they kept record of the debts of somebody. So just before, he goes, it is finished. What that meant was every debt canceled. Isn't that stunning? That's the bookkeeper going, no, 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 no. I'm paying the price. It's all done. It's paid for. It's wiped away. It's stunning. And then we think God's up there marking it down. Well, let's see. Dave, uh, twice this week, you... No. No, it's not even how he sees you. He He doesn't want you, believe it or not, he doesn't want you to make record of it. And that's why he uses that language. I don't want you... That's how you know you're, legal, you're living in legalism. Here's what's really strange. When we're legalistic and when we fail, when we're keeping a record of it, that is the very thing that stops us from coming, I'm using weak human terms, coming into his presence. You start avoiding God. That's how you know you're a record keeper. It actually does the very opposite thing of what grace does. Grace beckons you. Come. Come in here. I've done it. I'm going to, I'll take care of you again, kiddo. I love you so much. I'm not going to abandon you. And it's when it's the work of our our flesh keeping track of it, that's the thing that we build a stone on stone, stone on stone, stone on stone. Now we can't see Now we're not understanding. He feels far away. God's not listening to me. And I feel like a beggar standing outside of his courts yelling at God, do you still love me? You don't need to yell at me. I'm right here. Right here, kiddo. And yes, I never stop telling you, God is not a loan shark. The other thing that this does with us, and now here's a tell, tell sign. It only works, I can't expose this this morning because it's in the, each individual heart that's sitting here. There's this funny thing that happens inside of us where we say inside of our own inner voice, I have to prove to him I was worth it. I have to show him by my behavior that I it was worth it. You're conscious of your debt to God. How can you repay him? It's a we know it's a priceless gift, but that little inner voice, guess what? That is not the voice of the Spirit of God. You're designed to enjoy what God gave you. And your life needs to be a shining testimony of the generosity of God's gracious favor. So the first book I read when I started getting 
deconstructed in order to get reconstructed was destined to reign by Joseph Prince. I know there's a lot of people who love Joseph Prince. Some people don't like him at all. He's this, he's that. Wow, that book just absolutely undid me because it was about the generous grace of God and how I didn't have to live as a debtor to him and that he had destined my life to reign within him through grace, it says in Romans 5. Through grace. So then it brings up the fourth one because this is always tied to it when we start getting into that mentality. You're not 100% certain if you're 100% forgiven. Those other things lead up to this little nagging, little doubting thing. And this is what I found. God does not do forgiveness through the installment plan. All of your sins were taken away for all time at the cross when the Son of God abolished sin by the sacrifice of himself. Nobody killed him. He chose this for you. And he abolished it. The issue of forgiveness was settled right then because actually it was settled in those three days. He dies, and this is a glorious thing, and he was raised, and then Paul says, and this is why he was raised, folks, for your justification. did it for you, that it would put an end to all time. Am I forgiven? Am I forgiven? And I'm going to be, you know, I know where this is going out on the airwaves or whatever. It'll be on the podcast. Don't listen to any teacher or prophet or anybody that says to you, listen, in order to receive this, you got to make sure you're okay with God today. Only God can make sure you're okay with God today. You can't make sure you're okay with God. God made sure of it for you. Don't receive those words from people. You're forgiven. How do we know? Because he died and rose from the dead. There's no, we sing about it now, there's no distance, no delay. He took everything out of the way. Your unforgiveness was overcome by his forgiveness. And the issue is not you settling a score with God. Now, I, I seem a little vociferous about it. It's just, I read that stuff now and I just start, I don't know if there is such a thing as righteous anger, but I just start getting, no! I just want to, I block the emails. I won't listen to them anymore. This is the most important message I've ever heard. And for you to do it right and receive it, well, you got to make sure there's no area of, Unforgive, you know, unforgiveness in your heart towards God. Last time I looked, Jesus takes care of that. And that really settles it in my heart. I thank God. Here's what you can do. Because I know we're all scared of being ingrates, right? I, I'm a little scared. You know, I don't want to take advantage of it. I don't want to overdo it. Guess what? You can roll around in this. You can overdo this one. God, I'm so thankful that you've forgiven me. That I have left the realm of darkness. And it says, you have translated me into the kingdom of the son of your love. Just think what that says. He's taking you out of darkness 
translated is just like the Star Trek stuff. <laughs> Forgiven! I landed on the planet of forgiveness and I don't ever have to leave. He has translated me into that. Listen, settle it in your hearts. Leave the legalism behind. If you need to, wake up every morning for the next three weeks. Yes, I'm giving you an equation. Look in the mirror and say, Lloyd, you're forgiven today. Don't ever let the enemy put a seed of doubt in it. Not even your own stupid actions and your own stupid words. Not thinking, this is so freeing, you guys. I don't know how you were, but I spent half my Christ, over half my Christian life feeling like a mess up. I couldn't get it right. So frustrated with it. And I would tell others, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. And in my secret place, I'd go, I know he does, but it's got to be out of pity because I sure don't like me. He likes you. He loves you. And there's nothing can ever get in the way. Not even you. Isn't that incredible? Brings up the fifth one. This is a symptom of legalism. And I know that this is this little step, I'm sorry, is stepping on toes. You saying I have a responsibility to serve the Lord. If you want to serve the Lord, do it with gladness. But you have no obligation to serve God. We even used to put that on like, that's how we measured the bell curve of, your, of Christians. Is he serving the Lord? couple of nights a week, but the rest of the time, no, not much. Well, he's in that lower bracket. He's not at the bell curve. Some of you are A, B minus over here. I'm sorry, you guys on the right-hand side of the room, you're pretty much in the D territory. You better work harder at this. Jesus did so much, what will you do for him? What are you doing for the Lord today? You see, it fosters servants and God fostered sons, daughters. He doesn't need servants, He wants children. And even when you think you deserve to be treated like a servant, He will. Oh, that song, The Prodigal, I ran into the road. My prodigal road, I ran into grace. He will treat you like a son or a daughter. Look at the story of the prodigal. I don't know why we call it that, the prodigal son. God comes running down the road to that kid. And he, it's the kid who wants to talk about, I'll go to my father's house and be one of his servants. He goes, what are you talking about? You've always been my kid. And then he does the wonderful gifting thing and puts a robe over his shoulders and shoes on his feet and a ring on his finger and a kiss on the cheek. What we do 
when we get caught with this is we're trying to suggest that our value to him is defined by what we do rather than who we are. Am I doing enough? And it trades the intimacy of relationship for the lifeless formality of servitude. Instead of drawing close to a loving father, you'll be content. Man, I heard this through the years. I'll be content to be a doorkeeper in the house of God. Not me. I'm going to sit right there beside him. I'm not content to be at the door. I did that to myself. I treated myself like the tail and not the head. Make sure you take the last seat, Lloyd, because that's what humility would ask. Kiddos, run to the front. You were not destined for the last seat, and you're not arrogant because you want to sit up front with God. He wants you right there beside him. He doesn't want you far away. And that, that whole thing, whenever you get into the language inside of yourself, and I hope this can penetrate this morning, it's always centered around this, what I deserve. When you're all alone, when it's not Lloyd and it's not fun and it's not preaching and it's not church and it's not a community, it's not even your family, it's just you all alone. And it's right there in the center of what you deserve, you'll find out your true identity. Because if you think you don't deserve God, you're a legalist. Because God in his grace and mercy and kindness and unfailing and unstoppable love. I mean, all you have to do is go to Romans 5. When we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What do you think makes you worthy? It's not far away. Number six, these are all tied together. Number six, uh, you mainly think of following Jesus uh, in the things that you give up, sacrificial living. I'm, I'm going to show the world and myself and, and God by not doing all these other things that other people do. Man, that's gone the litany of you don't play card games to you don't go to dances, you don't let your kids go to dances. You don't. It, it's just, it's such silliness. And we're not the only one. Like in Russia, it was whether you wore a tie or not. Once, once, once communism, the doors opened up, they found out where the, the hidden church was at with that. And the issues were, they smoked cigars like fiends, but if they didn't wear a tie, they were going to hell. But for the Baptists, it wasn't the tie issue. It was the smoke and the cigar. <laughs> Craziness, isn't it? But we'll do Here's the thing, though. We'll do it inside of us. Uh, this comes out in language like this. Well, I'm going to this church because God's putting me under his discipline. Oh, that's a thank you. Boy, I'd love to be the pastor of that place. If you think you're under, you think you're under the Lord's discipline by him sending you to New Day, we need to have a long talk because I don't want you here. 
I'm supposed to stay there because I'm under the discipline of the Lord. I'm supposed to do this because I'm under the discipline of the Lord. I sp- you know how God disciplines us? He goes, stop it. It's not who you are. Stop that. That's the voice of the Holy Spirit. He says, stop, don't. That's not who you are. And a true prayer of repentance is, I just did something that's not really me. It's, it's uh, in my flesh. And it doesn't look anything like the new person you created me to be. Not the other way. I'm going to. Uh, so I'm going to do all these spiritual disciplines to prove to God that I'm making it. That's not the reason to do spiritual disciplines. Do you not believe in fasting? Yes, I do. If the Lord, if the Lord indicates for you to to stop ingesting food to get your attention over something, by all means, do it. Just don't tell me that he told you that I'm supposed to. (laughs) If that's between you and the Lord, by all means, by all means, there's a time to fast, there's a time to pray, there's a time to do all these things, but I don't think you have the authority to tell me, and not in... Not in arrogance. I don't mean it in an arrogant way. It's just, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I'm not sensing that at all. Because here's what Christ actually did. Instead of giving things up, he wanted to bring things into your life. He didn't want you to give these things up. He wanted to add incredible blessings. Listen to 2 Corinthians 1, 20 and 22. For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. It's phenomenal. Now he who established us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who also has sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. The guarantee of the Spirit is not sacrificial living. The guarantee of the Spirit is abundant living. I have them that they might have life and might have it more abundantly. It's not talking about things. It's talking about the quality of your life in the Spirit. It may include some things. It may not. But I know this. Everything, every possession that I have, I can point to God. Every relationship I have, I can point to God. That's 2 Corinthians 1.20. Yeah, 2.22. Okay, the seventh one is this. We'll get out of here. You think God's going to bless you as long as you do your part. You are living by an equation that was declared a heresy in the 4th century of the church. Brought by a guy named Pelagius. So it's called Pelagianism. And today, most of the modern church, postmodern church, lives in semi-Pelagianism. We see it through things like those words that go out, make sure your life's right with God. You can't have a, God, a life in God through equation. He's not doing algebra. He did grace. Grace isn't fair. 
a lot of times grace feels like it's not just. He justifies the ungodly. That's not fair. It's not. It's not fair. I don't want the guy that did that that's in prison to suddenly become justified. God does. God looks at his heart as a child and says, I want to, I, I died, I was raised from the dead to justify that person's life. Who are you to stand in the way of my grace? We don't ask that question enough. Who am I to determine who should and who shouldn't get God's grace and mercy and what they're deserving of today? There are several politicians, I can't stand to hear their voice on TV anymore. I won't say who, just for the record. However, God's voice over them is he loves them every bit as much as he does me. And I'm getting pretty convinced in my heart that he's absolutely crazy about me. The essence of a life under the law is this mindset. And the reason I put this one last, this has more to do with anything. I have to do my part to receive God's blessing. Nope. You may do a part. You may play even a part in it. You may be a part of somebody else's blessings. But you don't do it to get. That mindset, and I'm going to use language that others would have used, that's actually anti-Christ and anti-cross. Grace and works don't mix. They won't ever mix. And you can quote James at me all day long. That's not what James is saying. God doesn't bless us in response to our faithfulness. God blesses us because of his faithfulness. Otherwise, Paul would not have said, even when we are unfaithful, he remains faithful. Isn't that stunning? This is the one, this little last one, God will bless me as I do my part. Please kick that one out of your prayer closets. Please. Because it will turn you in circles. It's like WWE all the time inside your soul. And you are fighting the Punisher and Hulk Hogan and all those guys all at the same time. And each time you think you've body slammed one of them, they're going to be right on top of you again. Because you'll never do enough. You will never do enough. You can't. It's impossible. And why we think that? I don't know. I I really think of all the things that the enemy of our souls darkens our minds to. It's that. That I must do something in order to gain God's favor. It really comes down to Acts, doesn't it? The book of Acts. In him we live and move and have our being. That verse... I pray more over myself than any other verse. It's the one I do. You know, are you disciplined? Yes. Usually I have to look in the mirror and say, you're going to have an incredible day, buddy. You don't look so good, but you're going to have an incredible day. Wash that hair. You're looking bad. 
But it's this, Lord, remember today, it's in Christ. In him you live and move and have the essence of your being. And I don't have to prove it to anybody. I no longer try to validate the gospel. I receive it and let the gospel validate me. Perchance I would run into somebody and our conversation might turn to the fact that God is a loving God and is for them no matter what. And I probably have become, I don't know if it's the broken record or if it's the constant record, but that's what I want coming out of me all the time. That's what you want coming out of you all the time. This is, this is really, this is a, you know, I think of an old album, and I won't say who the artist, Christian artist was, but it, the album was titled Now to Live the Life. And I just go, no. Now I'm going to let his life live in me. I'm not going to try and live the life anymore. I'm going to allow him to live in me. For in him I live and move and have my being. And let me bless you. Now in him you live and move, have your being today, tonight, tomorrow morning, Tuesday, Friday evening, in him you live and move and have your being. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Stand up and hug each other.